Right on. Hey, if you've got your Bibles, I'm going to get you to turn to two spots. Matthew chapter 6 and 2 Corinthians chapter 4. We're going to go to Matthew chapter 6 first. As we get into God's word, let's just pray. Father, we just, we just thank you that we could gather around the word this morning. Jesus, we just come to you for, for strength, for encouragement, um, for your teaching. I pray, Lord, that, that as we come before you into the word this morning, that you would just grip our conscience, that you would touch our conscience, Lord, that you would move us forward in our relationship with you, Lord, that you'd transform our hearts. I pray, God, that as we talk a little bit this morning about the eye as the lamp of the body, as we talk about vision, that Jesus, you would, um, that you would change our eyesight, that you would heal our vision, Lord, that um, you'd transform our hearts and just set us in that place where you want us this morning. And so, God, we ask that your spirit would anoint this time, that you would bless this time in the word, Lord, that we would find strength and encouragement in you as we gather around the word in Jesus' name. Amen. Matthew chapter 6, verse 22 want to read this. It says this. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? We talked about this passage. We looked at it a couple weeks ago. Uh, the choice between two visions. And this morning I want to talk a little bit about healthy vision. Um. And, and just this, what's that giggling about? Oh, okay. Is there an eye problem going on this morning, Rob? <laughs> and as we, as we do, I want to uh, just, just remind you a couple thoughts we had from a couple, uh, uh, two weeks back. And it's this, that there's, on, there's only two types of vision. There's good vision and there's bad vision. And the eye is the lamp of the body, Jesus said. So he said, when your eye is clear, your body will be full of light. And if your eye is bad, then your whole body will be full of darkness. Now, as we yap about this, we're going to look at some of the words of Paul from 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Um, I mentioned a few weeks ago, or a couple weeks ago, that we don't actually see with our eyes. We see with our brains. That the eye lets light into the body. Our eye is the lens through which we see. The eye transfers image to the optical lobe in your brain and... Then your brain goes to work in conjunction with the frontal lobe and it makes decisions about the image that it's seen and it defines the image. And our mind determines, is the image good? Is the image bad? And we accept what our eye lets in or we reject it. We choose uh, what our eye is letting in to, we, to see it as good or to see it as bad. And that choice brings fear or it brings peace. And we choose and decide the definition that we give to that which we see. And so the meaning is not always so inherent in what we see, but how we see. It's about perception. And Jesus is talking here about perception, that there is a difference between what we see and how we see. And when we mix faith with our vision, we can see things as good for us, no matter what it is. Even if it seems awful, or whatever it might be, when we mix faith with vision, we see the goodness of God in the midst of what is going on. And we, we receive or we reject that which we see. It makes us fearful or it gives us peace. And so when Jesus talks about the eye here in Matthew chapter 6, he's talking about 
what we perceive and how we're perceiving things in life. And how that affects our emotions, how it affects our thinking, how it affects our ability to sleep, or how it affects us physically. Or if, it, if my vision, if I choose to see poorly, it distorts my understanding of who God is. And there's that saying I mentioned a couple weeks ago, the problem is not the problem, the problem is your attitude about the problem. And good vision is that which brings light into your body and it trusts God in the midst of that which it sees. It's vision that combines faith with that which it sees. And so I want to take you to 2 Corinthians chapter 4 this morning. We're going to look at verse 17 and 18. You can turn there with me in your Bibles. And we read this at the end of Chapter 4 of 2 Corinthians. <clears throat> for this slight momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look, not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Paul talks here about light momentary affliction. I don't know if you felt that, but there is an, there is an affliction that comes with following Jesus. <laughs> you know, sometimes when we preach the message of the gospel all too often, you know, when we're sharing the gospel with, with someone, we, we seem to soft sell this idea that everything is going to be perfect when you bring Jesus into your life. Did you, did you kind of think that when you came to faith? That following Jesus and responding to you know, the grace of the gospel, then everything would just come together and be fixed. And that's not necessarily the case. I mean, responding to the grace of God expressed through Jesus Christ is easily the, the greatest decision I've ever made in my life. No doubt about it. 100%. Never go back on it. Without any regret, I can share that Jesus is the greatest thing in my life. And, I'm, and I know that you could say the same thing too if you're following Jesus. But, and the... And I would say this, the benefits of following Jesus are immeasurable. How can you, how can you measure it? The, the joy, the peace, the sense of hope, the sense of knowing that eternity is settled. There's, there's nothing I would say in this world that compares with having peace in your heart when it's, when it's ruling and it's raining and you're, and you're, you're settled. But one of the things we often don't mention about following Christ is the affliction that comes with it. That there's an affliction that comes with following Jesus. And I wonder if you felt it or if you're feeling it. The, the in affliction of following Jesus in life or the affliction of following him, you know, maybe having received the ministry. And I would say this, you know, we often define we have this tendency to say, oh, ministry is something that the pastor does. Ministry is something that the, that the church leaders do. But you know, I always look at it this way, that all of life is ministry. That God has called me to be a minister in my workplace in the community. God has called me to be a minister in my uh, role in the family. God has called us to each to be ministers in our neighborhood or in our relationships. And there is, there is a, a sense of, affliction that comes in the midst of that and I want to try and explain that a little bit this morning that there is an affliction that comes in serving Jesus do you know what I'm talking about when I say that or are you like he's out in left field this morning Paul, Paul says or James said this actually 
He said, anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks at. For us as Christians, this is our mirror. This is the spot that reveals the spiritual things that are, that are in my heart, that are going on in my life. It reflects back the good things that God is doing in my heart and in my life. It also reflects back the stuff I don't want to see. The things that I hoped I'd never see, you know, the hair sliding back and the wrinkles that are coming and all the different things. The word reflects the good in my life and it also reflects um, the bad things that I don't want to see and and shows them to me. And, And Paul says this, we need to examine ourselves and to test and see if we're in our faith. And as I think about what Paul says here in regards to light momentary affliction, one of the best ways to see if you're in the faith is to see if you're feeling affliction. When Paul talks about light momentary affliction, he's talking about this. Pressure. Just to have pressure in serving Jesus. Uh, That word when you translate affliction from the Greek means this. It means it's speaking about pressure, about being uh, pressed, pressing together. The picture I have in my mind is this of a wine press. Just squeezing the grape and bringing the juice out of it. And there is an inner pressure. There is an inner affliction that almost comes with serving Jesus. It takes different forms in our lives. Maybe burden for the lost. This inner tension that eats at you and and demands of you because there are people that you know and love that are separated from God and they're lost and they're dead in their sin. And they're going to spend an eternity separated from God. And you don't want them to live without the saving knowledge of the Savior. Or there's an affliction that comes from living in in a home maybe where Family members don't know or maybe your, your partner in marriage doesn't know Jesus and to say a meal, uh, to say a prayer before a meal or, you know, to pull out your Bible or to mention the name of Jesus brings conflict in your home. There's an affliction. Or sometimes it's a, it's a battle with living a holy life, having integrity, wrestling with your own sin, struggling to grow in Christ-like character. Or maybe there's an affliction of knowing that one of your children isn't right with the Lord. There's an affliction that comes from sensing that that you don't fit in the structure and the system and the culture of this world because of your faith and because of the gospel and because of your belief in Jesus Christ. You know the humor that once used to tickle your funny bone doesn't get you anymore. You find it offensive or the language that you used to Use now leaves you feeling like you need a shower or there's the hurt of hearing someone use the name of Jesus as a cuss word. There is affliction in following Jesus. And Paul calls it here light momentary affliction. And I, I think of the words of Paul and I think, really Paul, light momentary? Sometimes when you think about the pressure that comes with following the Lord Jesus, it doesn't, it doesn't feel light but, the, but I think of the words of the man who said this. Paul tells us about his, his life. He says this, that when he speaks of himself, he, he said he endured far greater labors and far more imprisonments with countless beatings and often near death. And 
He said five times I received at the hands of the Jews 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day on the sea I was adrift. On frequent journeys and danger of river, rivers and danger of, of robbers, dangers from my own people, dangers from the Gentiles. And he just goes on and on and on. I mean, when I think about Paul, I think of a hero of the faith. And I think, Paul, you speak of light momentary affliction. The things that you experience, I can't imagine for the gospel. And it puts our internal afflictions a little bit into perspective. When I think about Paul, a man who suffered so much physically. I haven't suffered things like that for the gospel. But when I think about the words of Paul and what we see here and what he's saying is this, is that affliction is necessary in your walk with Jesus Christ. George, can I tell a story on you this morning? George said to me this morning, he says, man, as I'm growing in the Lord, I just have worse, what is going on? I have trouble, I have this going on, I have this battle happening. Said George, it's a good sign. Light momentary affliction. You know what Jesus said? He said this, come to me, all you who labor and who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. See, Jesus has promised that those who come to him, he would give rest. Rest for the soul. And it's true, when you go and you spend time with Jesus, there is a rest for the soul that comes. And when you yoke, yoke yourself to him, it's true, the burden is light. But it's still, there's still a, a burden. There's still a yoke to be pulled. You know, um, I would say this, affliction is necessary, even when I'm attached to Jesus, because I would say this, where there is, there is no resurrection where there's no death. There is no resurrection power, no manifest life of Christ unless I die. Unless I pick up my cross and follow Jesus. Unless I have my Golgotha. And affliction tells you that you're actually alive in Jesus Christ. Affliction demonstrates that your salvation is real. I mean, what would it mean if you had no concern for the lost? What would it mean about your faith if you could live in the same home as a lost person or lost people, a lost family member and not feel any burden, not feel any tension? What would you call a person without any struggle against sin, without any battle against temptation, without any desire to live a holy life? What do you call a person who has no concern or no sense or no burden for a child that's not serving the Lord? Or what would you call a person not bothered by the name of the Lord being used in vain? Grimacing, not in judgment, but in hurt. And I would say this to us this morning, that for us as the church, there is a danger that as we, as we serve Christ, and we count the cost of affliction, that as time goes by, that the day comes when we look at the affliction of serving Jesus, and we begin to count it as, too costly, it's too painful, it's too much work, it's too dangerous and we opt out of the crucified life and we take our foot off the gas 
and we put our faith into neutral or into cruise control. And the heart grows, the heart grows cold, cold for the lost. It grows cold for the desire to live a holy life. The heart moves, you know, the, the priority for those things just moves down the list. Maybe, maybe not intentionally, but we just lose our desire to fight and in the name of grace, we begin to practice things in our lives that we never would have practiced before. The burden for the lost leaves. The burden for a loved one not serving Jesus takes a back seat in your life and you just slip into cruise control. There's a cost to carrying the cross. I, I, I found it so amazing to watch what's happened in Alberta this week, haven't you, with Fort Mac and the whole thing. Uh, it's devastating. And um, I find it really interesting. I, I'm, I'm, I don't want you to think that I'm taking a shot whatsoever, but in my mind, Fort Mac to me has always represented like one of the places where, where you can go and make big money. Like if you move there, I often think, wow, you, you may, you've got it made in the shade. Maybe that, maybe that, you know, if there's a community in all of Canada that has the highest per capita earning potential, maybe that's Fort Mac. And to me, it's interesting that a fire has gone in and burnt that community. I mean, the Lord controls the fire and the Lord controls the wind. And as much as he could send it into the city, he could send it around the city. And in my heart and in in my mind, I, 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 I go, wow, you know, we've been seeing in, in, in um, the Sermon on the Mount that, that God has said you cannot serve God and mammon. And God wants to bring us to that place always where we are connected to his heart and he will do what he needs to do to bring people to repentance, to turn their heart to him, to cause people to put their focus on eternity, to show them what truly matters and what life is truly about. We have to wonder if he's giving a message, and I think he is, to our entire nation, not just to a community or to a province, but to say, what are we serving? What are we about? There is a cost to following Jesus for us, dear Christian friends. And I would ask you this, have you made a decision in your life that the cost is too much? Have you abandoned the mission? And I don't ask you that question to lay guilt upon you or take you, you know, into the prison of condemnation, but to remind you of the grace of God which will freshly equip you for the battle that we're in every day that we live for Christ. And affliction reminds us that the battle is real. You don't have to let affliction knock you off course. Let it cause you to come alive for Christ. Paul said it's light momentary affliction. To me, the, the word momentary is really key in what, in what Paul says. These are things that are going on for a moment. I mean, in light of eternity, they, they seem so much right now, whatever your affliction is in the midst of today, long and arduous and overwhelming. But Paul says, in light of eternity, they are momentary. As heavy as these afflictions are, they are light. As um, 
powerful as these afflictions are in our life, they are preparing us for, he, for eternity, he says. Literally, affliction is working on your behalf, Paul says. Working on your behalf to fashion you and shape you for eternity. You know, I think of the many beaches that we have around the Sunshine Coast. And uh, I love the pebble beaches that we have around here. And we got one close to our house that we like to go to as a family. And, you know, I always find it amazing just to watch how nature works and what God does on the beach. You know, he takes those stones and the, the waves roll in and sometimes the waves are, waves are soft and they stir the pebbles. Other times the waves pound and they crash the pebbles. Whether the waves are small or whether they're large, they're working those stones and they're turning them over and they're taking the edges off and they're making them smooth and they're polishing them and they're bringing them that to that place of perfection till you or I walk along the beach and one day we go, oh wow, look at that one. That one should go in my pocket. It's so beautiful. Affliction is working for you. Even when it feels like it's working against you. And Paul compares it to the eternal weight of glory. He says, well, he can't, he can't compare it. He, he, he doesn't even try here. Let me, let me read this to you again. For, for the slight momentary affliction is preparing for us the eternal weight of glory that is beyond all comparison. I think of Jonathan and David. You remember Jonathan and David were such good friends and when David began to tell Jonathan just about how bad things had gotten with his father Saul and his desire to take his life, Jonathan said, no way, man. My dad wouldn't do that. And so, and you know the story. David said, no, your, your dad wants to kill me. Uh, you know, if I go to the feast, he's going to kill me. And so they came up with this plan to measure the anger of Saul. And so the plan was that David would skip out on the feast and he would hide in a place where Jonathan would go and practice with his bow. And during the feast, based on Saul's reaction, Jonathan would come back and communicate to David whether he was safe or not. And their, their deal was this. If you shoot the arrow short, it's saying you're safe. But if I shoot the arrow far, it's saying that you're, you're in danger. And so you know the story. Saul, when he got word that David was missing and not there and he found out that maybe Jonathan had given him permission not to be there, he tried to pin his own son to the wall with a spear. And so Jonathan went out to the field to signal David and he pulled back the bow and he shot it as far as he, can, as he could, the scripture says. Jonathan uh, thought the conflict between Saul and David was like this big when really it was immeasurable. And Paul says the light momentary affliction that you feel cannot be measured with the weight that is going to come upon you. See, so you're carrying a weight of affliction, but there is a greater weight yet to come. Did you know that the glory of God has weight to it? That in eternity, the majesty and the glory of God will be revealed in us and to us and there's a weight that's going to come with it. it. It has substance. When you cruise the pages of the Old Testament and you see stories about the glory of God, what, what does it come in the form of a cloud? I, I think of the story with Solomon when they dedicated the temple and 
when the presence of God filled the temple, there was smoke and there was a cloud and the priest could not stand because of the weight of the glory of God and the sense of his presence. And in eternity, there is going to be something that is so substantial about the weight of God's glory that is going to come upon us more than the substance of a cloud. In fact, the Greek word for weight here that Paul uses, mean, it carries a similar meaning to the word affliction. Do you remember the word affliction is oppressing, oppressing to be pressed? Pressure. Well, the Greek word translated weight means oppressing on one that demands resources from them, whether physically or spiritually. See, in heaven... The weight and the substance of glory, the glory of Jesus is going to come upon you and I. And it will put pressure on you. You think about the pressure that you experience as you're following Jesus right now. And some of, maybe some of those areas that I mentioned. Relationships, concern for the loss, internal affliction, battle with sin, whatever it is. The affliction and the pressure that comes with serving Jesus. In heaven... There is going to be the weight of glory coming upon you and I. Do you know what I think that the substance of God's glory will squeeze out of you? Think of the wine press. What it will squeeze out of you and I as it comes upon us? The substance of God's glory? What will it demand of us, this pressure that is going to come upon us? I believe it's this, worship. That in heaven you won't be able to help yourself. That as the weight of the glory of God comes upon you, that worship will come out of you like you never could have dreamed or ever could have imagined. So you behold the face of Jesus, inspired by the glory of God. The masterpieces of worship will come out of you. Psalms like that of David. Music like that of Mozart. Sounds wonderful. It's a great hope that lays in front of us in Christ Jesus. But right now it's a grind. In the daily life today, it's a grind in so many ways. And when Paul calls it light momentary affliction, it's, it feels more, more like sometimes we're, we're, we're packing tonnage. A never ending, tonnage of never ending affliction. And I ask myself, well, what enabled Paul to keep this healthy perspective Because sometimes I experience things that are far less than Paul experienced and they send me into a spiritual tailspin. What enabled him to keep this perspective? And so I'm going to point you to three things in this text. Jumping back to verse 13. Let's look at that. The first is this, a spirit of faith. Verse 13. Since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke. We also believe, and so we also speak. One of my favorite writers to just pick up a book when I need a light read is is Corey Ten Boone. She's challenging, she's powerful, she's awesome. And she said this, Faith is like a radar which sees through the fog. The reality of things at a distance that the human eye cannot see. When Lisa and I first moved back to the Sunshine, Jonah was like three and a half. Eli was like, I don't know, 18 months or something like that. And we, um, 
we weren't sure how things were going to settle out. And so we got this little cottage on the, on the beach um, in Langdale for five months, somebody's uh, summer home that we were able to get a hold of. And we moved into this spot and it was awesome, just settling back into life on the Sunshine Coast. And I'd never, I'd never ever lived in the Langdale area. And so, you know, that was just always where he went. And you hopped on the ferry and got out of Dodge. And I quickly began to enjoy, as we lived in Langdale, just watching the boat come in and out, the ferry boat, and just the timing of how the whole thing rolled. And we were right there on, on the beach, and the waves would crash in. And being winter, one of the things that shocked me was how often that area was socked in with fog. And BC ferries would come in and out of the dock, and sometimes the fog would roll in. And what was so cool is, on those foggy mornings listening to the foghorn blast. I mean, once in a while we'll hear it down here in Lower Gibson as the thing's coming in. I mean, how did I know on the shore that that ferry was coming? It was because of the blast of the foghorn. The, the ferry had radar and it could see through the fog and it sounded its foghorn to communicate, I'm coming round, I'm coming through. And Corey Ten Boone said this, faith is like a radar which sees through the fog. The reality of things at a distance that the human eye cannot see. See, faith speaks. Faith sounds the foghorn. It speaks in the midst of life's fog and it, and it says this, I've set my radar on Jesus Christ. Faith communicates and the life of faith communicates its trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you trust someone? Uh, do, you, do you trust Jesus? Then you should tell someone. I trust Jesus in the midst of my affliction. I trust Jesus in the midst of what's going on in my life. A number of years ago we went and we were visiting with my grandpa out in Chilliwack and he was telling me about when they came to faith in Jesus and the kids were kind of running around the room and not really paying attention and he was telling me about when grandma came to faith in Jesus. Um, he had already made his commitment to Christ. And um, they were sending their boys, my dad, to Sunday school already. But grandma wasn't participating in anything. And then one day, uh, two men from 45th Tab in Vancouver knocked on the door and they began to share the gospel with my grandma. And um, she said this to those men, she said, if I can have what my husband has, then I want it. And she gave her life to Jesus. And my grandpa called it door-to-door -door evangelism. Well, the kids are running around and doing their thing. And Eli pipes up and goes, what's door-to-door -door evangelism? And grandpa began to explain to him that when someone makes a decision for Christ, they need to go and tell someone. And I would say this, think about it for a moment. Salvation is by faith in Jesus Christ. And faith speaks. It tells people, I trust Jesus. And you can trust Jesus too. Faith in the midst of life's fogs grabs a hold of, of Jesus. And it speaks trust in the Lord's faithfulness. And it speaks trust in the things that God has promised to us. Do you know where you're going? Have you set your radar on Jesus? Then speak it, I would say to you. Here's another thing that helped Paul keep his perspective. It's found in verse 14. He says, knowing that he who has raised the Lord Jesus will also raise us with, 
sorry, will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. What helped Paul keep his perspective? The hope of the resurrection. The hope of the resurrection. Paul was confident in the resurrection of the dead. Paul was confident that Jesus was the firstborn of those raised from the dead, the first fruits of the resurrection of the dead, and he was confident that we would follow in the pattern of the Lord Jesus Christ, that that which is perishable will be raised imperishable. The hope of the resurrection. What else helped Paul keep his perspective? I would say this in verse 15. The outward ministry of grace, I'll explain in a minute. Look at verse 15. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends more and more, sorry, as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. See, there is in your life and in my life an inward working of grace. God pours his grace into my heart. I experience his goodness, God's riches at Christ's expense. He ministers grace to you. But there is also an outward working of the ministry of grace in your life. Where he ministers grace through you. Through your life. See, are you struggling to keep going in the midst of light momentary affliction? I would tell you this. Quit navel gazing this morning. The planet does not turn or orbit on me or on you. See, a self-absorbed Christian is actually one that has lost perspective. See, God does not want to just minister grace to you, but God is working in this world to minister grace through you, through your life. He desires to minister through you, and maybe, just maybe, your affliction was never ever about you and all about him and his ministering grace through you, through your life, through your life to others. Those are things that help Paul keep his perspective. Faith, the vision of faith, the hope of eternity, and the outward understanding of God's grace working through his life. Paul says this again in verse 17. For this light momentary affliction is preparing us for the eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen, For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. See, Paul talks about your sight. The perspective that you're taking in life. How we look. The direction of our vision. My Eli, he's he's in the room. One of the funniest things when Eli was, I thought he wouldn't be in the room, but I'm going to tell a story on him. One of the things that that was so funny about Eli when he was little was you could say, Eli, look me in the eyes. (laughs) And he'd go, Eli? (laughs) Usually when he's being disciplined, look me in the eyes. I am, Dad. (laughs) I said, look at me in your eyes. I want to know that I have your attention. And the way we look shows the, the direction of our vision. Look, fix your eyes in a certain direction and contemplate with your mind 
Uh, apply your mental consideration and put your perspective in the, in the right direction. And this is sort of strange what Paul says here. If you think about it. But he's saying this. With our eyes we look and we can see two things. We can see things that are seen. And we can see things that are unseen. Christian, your eyes can see things that are unseen. You know, for instance, you could take a walk to the beach around here or go look at the mountains on the North Shore. You could look over the ocean and watch how the sky converges with it at Davis Bay and the beauty of it all or the sun coming up or the sun going down or the stars in the sky and often something amazing happens for us when we do those things. Let's say standing at the shore in Davis Bay, for instance, looking out over the waters. You look and it's beautiful and you perceive all this beauty and where does your mind go? You know, sometimes I look at things and what I perceive with my mind what does my mind perceive? It begins to think about eternity. It begins to think uh, about the things of God. I, I can't see eternity. But I'm telling you, you see eternity. You, 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 you see the things of God as you look at his nature and his creation and his work. And you, you see beyond the physical and you look to the things that are eternal. You stand over the, the beach and maybe look at the clouds and the ocean and, and they're beautiful, but God wants you to see something beyond that, something that's eternal. For the things that are, that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal, Paul says. You know what causes you and I to lose perspective? What causes you and I to lose perspective is when our eyes get fixed on momentary, transient things. When a Christian reaches the point when in the face of, of the, the light of momentary affliction, some of those battles where they make that decision, this is the point I throw in the towel. This is the point that I throw in the towel. This is the point where the cost of pickling, picking up my cross to follow Jesus is too much. I'm going to warm the bench for a while. Or permanently. And at the heart of that problem is always a vision issue. A eye problem. A myoptic nearsightedness where we set our hearts on the things that are transient. Our culture, when I think about our culture, is probably you know, worse for that than most cultures in the world because of our wealth, because of our influence, because of our standard of living. Comfort can, can breed a myopic vision. Affluence breeds a culture that fixes its sight on, on things that are transient rather than things that are eternal. And that means this. You and I therefore need affliction. So that God can fix our vision where it should be set. On eternity. And I would say this to you this morning church. 
Be reminded that you are called for something greater than a life lived in pursuit of transient things. Things that don't matter. Things that are not eternal. What is possessing you? What is possessing your life? There's a well-known story of a, a great man. Um, maybe you've heard of William Wyden Borden. He was born in 1894 in American. When he was seven years old, he made a decision and came to faith in Jesus Christ. And he's a man that's described this way. He had blue blood, but a silver spoon in his mouth. His family was extremely wealthy dairy farmers in the U.S. And um, they were a distinguished family. As he was a young man in his teens, he was a millionaire already in the, 18, in the early 1900s. And as he grew in the Lord, he grew in his heart for the kingdom of God. And in particular, he was involved in all sorts of ministries, involved in all sorts of stuff. But in particular, he caught the vision of Hudson Taylor and the Inland China Mission that Taylor had founded. And Borden heard about a group of Muslims and the Chinese Muslims in the north of China that had never been reached with the gospel. And so he made it the determination of his life that he would go to that place and that he would preach the gospel of Jesus. And so in December of 1912, in his early 20s, uh, he sailed to Egypt en route to China where he would stop and he would spend some time learning uh, Arabic. But in the spring of 1913, less than six months after he had been in Egypt, uh, he con contracted meningitis and he passed away. Died before he even reached the mission field. Never reached China. News of his death was reported all around the world because of... Um, the affluence of his family. And even though he was such a young man, he left all, all his personal um, wealth and fortune to a bunch of various Christian ministries. He just handed it all off. And many people were struck with the fact, why was this life cut so short? But at his funeral service, the, the man who was directing his services, he actually had services all around the world. There was about 10 services for this man. He was so influential in his early 20s. But the preacher said this. By some, the victory has to be won over poverty. But for Borden, he won the victory over an environment of wealth. He felt that his life consisted not in the abundance of things that a man possesses, but in the abundance of things which possess the man. Our hearts need to be possessed by eternity. By the heart of faith. By a vision for Jesus Christ. And what causes us to lose our perspective is when we get fixed on momentary transient things. We're to look not to things that are seen that are transient. But to look to things that are unseen. Use the vision that Christ has given you. The eternal vision. Are you looking at your life with eyes of faith? Has the hope of eternity gripped your heart? Are you seeing the outward working of grace to others in your lives? See God's people are never more dangerous. Than when they begin to really truly set their hope in heaven. In eternity. For things that are eternal. Eternal. 
And, and it seems to me that one of the lies that has is, is led so much to the impotence of the church in our age is its failure to be fixed on eternal things. You know that old saying, I mentioned it a couple weeks ago. We say, oh, they're so heavenly minded, they're no earthly good. That is a lie, according to the scriptures, that we are earthly good when we're heavenly minded. A.W. Tozer said this, or he used to say this, it was a common thing that he said. The invisible world described in the Bible is the only real world. The invisible world described in the Bible is the only real world. My friends, fix your eyes, fix your perspective on eternity, on the kingdom of God, on Jesus. Let's pray this morning. I invite the worship team to come.